The area we'll go to here today is Genesis uh, 48. As we mentioned before, this is that time at the end of uh, the very book itself, but also the very life of Jacob, this patriarch of the faith, the third and the final of the great three uh, patriarchs. And here we find Jacob um, at the end of his life being reunited with his uh, lovely son, uh, Joseph. And they're all cohabitating peacefully for the first time in the whole story uh, in Egypt of all places. And Joseph's an old man. And what has happened every time, even unto this time now, throughout the book of Genesis, is that when these patriarchs of the faith come to their end days, their dying days, this is that moment when a type of will or testament happens in which they um, are obligated to release um, a blessing, a blessing upon their children. And that's what Jacob's concerned with today. So we'll jump in and see uh, this great uh, gospel that all blessings flow from God. But there's a particular type of blessing that I want you to see this morning that is the gospel, right? If you have a good dinner tonight, praise God. And if you didn't eat that dinner to the glory of God, praise him anyway because it doesn't matter because that was his. But there's a glory to the blessings of the gospel that there is not just all the things you can have, whether you uh, love the living and true God or you hate the living and true God, you still get all his blessings so many times over. But what we're speaking about here and what we're reading about here is this particular blessing of God's presence with you, of actually having life, life. That's what's going on here. A life that does not pass away. And so as a dying man is passing away, he's translating this promise that is true. So here in Genesis 48, it says, After this, that is, after everything that Joseph has done, bringing his whole family into Egypt to save them from dying in the famine, and being reunited to his brothers, forgiving his brothers for wanting to kill him. It says, after this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Joseph's sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was uh, told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel, which is also the name for Jacob, this phrase is, summoned his strength to sit up in his bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty, the God of all strength, appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will make you as a company of peoples. And I will give you this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. 
And now your two sons, who were born to you into the land of Egypt, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh. They shall be mine. As Reuben and Simeon are mine. Reuben and Simeon are Jacob's actual first two uh, firstborn and secondborn boys. Ephraim and Manasseh are his first grandchildren by Joseph. And the children that you father after them shall be yours. They shall be called by my name, the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I come, when I came from Padan, uh, Padan which was the northern area where he ran away, uh, to my uh, sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on that way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Now it's entering into this formal blessing transaction, will and testament. Almost like a formal question, like, who is, like, in, when, I, when I do a wedding, who gives this man to, this woman to be married to this man? And then the father steps up. It's probably what's going on here, because they just talk. Why would you ask that question again? There's a formality to what's going on now. And he says, who are these? And Joseph responds, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. And the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. It's a big moment as Joseph is in a position of worship. He puts his face on the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand, and he brought them near to him. Then Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, and the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow in a multitude in the midst of the earth. Now it says, when Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused. And he said, I know my son, I know. He also shall be a people, and he shall also be great. Nevertheless, your, his younger brother shall be greater than he, 
and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given you, rather than your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites by my sword and bow. And he speaks about he's going to die and he is speaking about the land in which he knows that they will be coming out of Egypt to take that land that was originally promised to them. It's this last um, uh, glimmer or, or statement of faith in Jacob's life to saying, I know I'm dying here in Egypt, but I know that's not the end of the story. You and I are here because of the story, because the story, the history of the gospel, of the salvation of Jesus Christ, that has begun and is in active power in the world at this moment is continuing. We are here. He knew this story was a large story. It was longer. It would outlast his life, especially on his deathbed, most pointedly knowing this is bigger than myself because we're not just talking about an inheritance right. We're not just talking about getting some land or getting a house or some property or farmland. That's not what this was, even though that is actually what this was. Because these were promises transcendently divvied out by God upon the people of Israel. This wasn't just an inheritance thing. So, I normally don't do this with sermons. I usually don't start off with poetry. But I will today. So I'd like you to please hear this beautiful poem. You might recognize it. You better watch out. I didn't even get started yet. Let me have a moment. Jeez. You better watch out. You see, you better not cry. And you better not pout. I'm telling you why. Do you know why? Because Santa Claus is coming to town. Now he's making a list and he's checking it twice and he's going to find out who's naughty or nice. And how's he going to do that? Uh, well, he sees you when you're sleeping and he knows when you're awake. And I know what you're thinking is, get out of my house. <laughs> he knows if you've been bad or good and then it says, so be good for goodness sake. It's Christmas. The merriness of Christmas uh, is uh, merit-based, evidently. You see how that song makes sense, of course. Be good for goodness sake. You better not, and you better, because he has a list, he checked it twice, he knows who's naughty, he knows who's nice. Be good for goodness sake, so that you might get some presents from Santa. Now, if we want to have a, a meritocratous Christmas, that's fine. That's beautiful. Sure. I actually like people that have some merit. Uh, if I go to the doctors and need a procedure done, I would like to know that he worked very hard for his degree. And it, he didn't go to, like, Grace Medical School. No, like, that's great. Uh, we can name churches Grace this and Grace that. But I do not want, I want to hear something like Temple or, you know, a, a school that, that you could have failed. 
if, if you went in and didn't do too well. Uh, that, so we're not saying uh, that that's wrong uh, to have some meritocracy around here. But the idea of Christmas, the idea that it would be based on a list that is uh, checked twice so that we might know who's naughty or nice. See, the beautiful thing we find as we see what God has been doing through Joseph is that we are paused so that we could never look at this and walk away with that kind of conclusion. That's the danger, particularly, of looking at Joseph, as we've seen through Christmas. You have uh, the idea of goodness. Better be good for goodness sake. Goodness is, in the most general way the Bible defines what a blessing is, is that. It is the goodness. The good things that come into people's lives, that's the most general term in the Bible for a blessing. Many children, a blessing. Lots of crops, a blessing. Good weather, a blessing. Famine, not a blessing. See, it's that easy. It's actually very that, that simple. But what we're doing here, and if you only have that understanding of what a blessing is, and then you read this particular account, or the patriarchal thing in which the blessings are being translated across generations, that doesn't necessarily work so well. It's more than that, you see. A blessing, in this way, is a performative, prophetic prayer. Jacob has blessed these two boys. And in the way these blessings work, we know one thing. They will be blessed. They have to be blessed. It is a top-down prophetic promise that is prayed over them and the giving of that blessing itself is the blessing. It's performative. When that word goes out upon them, they are blessed in that moment. The danger of seeing this though, when it comes to Joseph, is that meritocracy, that merit, thinking, well, yes, I understand how this would work. Because Joseph has been a pretty good little boy. Compared to all his brothers, it's looking like he might have a pretty good Christmas coming his way. Think about it. The danger of self-righteousness. David and Bathsheba. If you know anything in the Bible, you know this one. The great hero of the faith. Sexual sin and lust. He fell. He tarnished his character. And it's codified in his story for everyone to read. Where is Eli, one great priest in the book of Samuel? He had faithless sons. He couldn't bring his sons up in the faith. It was a tarnish. It was a, it was a foble. It was a weakness of his, you know. You have uh, Samson and Delilah, this great strong man, a powerful man. But again, fell and terribly. Gideon, the book of Judges, does these amazing things. God's doing wonderful, powerful things through him. 
But then he goes and makes, in this side mark almost at the end of his life, an ephod. And he turns it into an idol and causes many people to stumble and turn away from God. And when you look at the story of Joseph, you say, where is it? We make a list of Joseph's life. We can even check it twice. There's no big fall. It's one of the only people in the scriptures where you read about Joseph and there's nothing embarrassing about him. This is the danger of self-righteousness, you see. Perhaps you might be one of these people. Now some of us are literally fumbling through our existence. And some of you are smiling, so I kind of already know who those might be. Like, when you're like, when people mention Jesus and the, and the grace of the gospel and the forgiveness of sins, you're like, oh, thank you. Because like, I see it all around. I can't get anything right. But see, there's also personality types and different types of people and different types of proclivities and habits and upbringing in which actually... Maybe your conversion story isn't some dramatic thing that you were stuck in some tragic life-altering sin in which you literally needed God to miraculously rescue you and change all sorts of patterns that you were enslaved to, right? Well, then, of course, here we go. Well, you always have Joseph to look at. The danger of self-righteousness, perhaps... You could be one of the people who has actually learned to balance his life well. Sensual sins, you haven't been uh, taken in much by overeating or sexual lusts or oversleeping or being overly ambitious or being angry and rigid or uh, selfish or overworking. Maybe you are a type of person who actually has found uh, and. Uh, you're, you're blessed if you have found this. You don't have to be a Christian to find this. Aristotle's the one that came up with the idea of the principle of the golden mean. It's kind of common sense. There's a virtue to life to live within the gold of the middle. Don't be too dogmatic, but don't be too wishy-washy. Don't be too aggressive and driven and angry, but also be balanced with uh, a good work ethic. You can find the middle of anything. You can enjoy a good meal and not be a glutton. You can have a nice sleep and not be lazy. You can find the virtue of the middle without Christ. You can live a pretty good life. And from everyone else's standards, say, you are, generally speaking, a fairly righteous person. And this is where God's word, his counsel comes in. And this is where we see Joseph and say, you look kind of like Joseph. Maybe you're the kind of person where all your other brothers and sisters are a little angry with you because you're just a little too good. And they don't like that. But see, that was Joseph's problem. And the dangerous sin of all these sins, all the danger of not being able to fall into any obvious sin is the center sin then remaining of self-righteousness. Self-strength. 
self-identity and power and place and position. That you might see yourself as the one who actually has it pretty well together. And I need saved a little bit. I need a little help. But I don't need saved like those people. If anyone was tempted toward that sin, yes, this is Joseph's temptation. His temptation is he's just too good. And that is why we just read what we read. It had to be this way. And let me explain. Jacob's blessing that he just gave away didn't actually originate with him. It was given to him by his father Isaac. Of course, which was given to him by his father Abraham. Where did Abraham get it? God directly bestowed it upon him. This blessing is not of men. There's no one strong enough to go up to heaven to grab it. God had to come down and give it. Isaac married a woman by the name of Rebecca. We step back to see what just happened. We see the whole story from the beginning of his father Isaac. Now, Rebecca had two children in her womb at the same time, twins. They were fighting one another. She was in pain during the pregnancy. She petitions God, what is going on? And God responds with a prophetic oracle, a word like this blessing, a performative prophetic promise, prayer. The word came to her and said, you have two nations in your womb. They're resisting one another and fighting one another. And the word was this, one will be stronger than the other, yet the younger will actually rule over the older. That is, the older shall serve the younger. Birth order, old, young, fighting, sibling, rivalry. All this theme is there inside her womb. And so what happens is that Isaac actually favors the older and the stronger one, Esau. But the word of God came and said, no, the older one, the stronger one, is actually going to serve the younger one, the weaker one. And so Jacob tricks his own father, who we're told in this story is old and his eyes are dim with age. And without intending to actually bless his younger son, he did by mistake. And so what he did is his younger son, Jacob, put on the clothes that he knew his father liked in self-righteousness, which was everything about his older brother, who was stronger, who was better, who was a hunter, who was a manly man. He put on his clothes so that he smelt like Esau. He put hair around his arms so that he felt like Esau. And he went to his blind father and said, Here, now bless me, now my father. And Isaac blessed him on his deathbed, just like Jacob did now. He blessed him that way without even knowing it was him. And the blessing landed, you see. It is a performative thing. It actually happened. The firstborn in the scriptures are the, is an image of human strength. And that ties everything together, as we'll see. In Genesis 49, the very next chapter we'll read for Christmas... The first thing that Jacob says to his actual firstborn son, Reuben, he says, Reuben, you are the firstborn of my might. 
You are my strength. You are the child that came from me when I was the youngest man I was. You are the child of my strength. You are the child of my human ability to do things. You're my firstborn. In Deuteronomy 21, we're told that the firstborn is the first fruits of the man's strength. And of course, what we know about Esau is Esau was the one who came before Jacob. He was the firstborn and he was the strong one. He was the mighty guy. And it was for that exact reason that we know that the blessing couldn't come to him. So Isaac blessed him by mistake. Jacob ran away. Esau came in. And he said, here I am, my father. I found a meal for you. Eat so that you may bless me. And Isaac said, who is this? I just gave the blessing. And he says, your brother. Your brother has deceived me. I have blessed your brother. Your younger brother. I have blessed him. And he shall be blessed. And Esau said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me, my father? Isaac's response was, Behold, look, I have made him Lord over you. What then can I do for you, he says. Have you only one blessing, he says. These are just words. Have you only one blessing? You bless Jacob by accident? Then take it back. And his response was, I have blessed him and he shall be blessed. It's performative. It's done. There's something prophetic. There's something powerful to God's word of salvation in the world. To the speaking of the gospel. That that itself is the word that changes. That brings life or not. It actually has that power. And so the blessing was done. And he missed it. It was actually a thing that was taken from him. But leading into how this man, the deceiver, Jacob, who stole the blessing, is going to end his life. The days of his life is much different than how he started. How? He starts off deceiving but then he starts to get some of what he deserves. The deceiver becomes deceived. He goes and runs away from his brother because his brother is furious with him. And he runs up north to his uncle Laban. And his uncle Laban has a field day with him and uses him and abuses him and puts him in 14 years of indentured servitude for what was supposed to be the woman that he loved. Um, Rachel thought she was beautiful. Said, I'll work seven years. Okay. And then he marries Leah, who we're told had weak eyes. What is it about the eyes? Eat of this fruit. Your eyes will be opened. Isaac is old and his eyes are dim. I'm passing up Leah. Her eyes are weak. And now we have Jacob. He's old and his eyes are dim with age. There's something God wants you to see. And unless you meditate on Genesis for a while... And get to hear it preached. You need to see that from the very beginning. Of how the whole entire oracles of God's word start. Is that there is something to be seen. That the eyes cannot see. The eyes of faith to see. How God is saving the world. 
But now we know that Jacob is old and his eyes are dim. But he actually is really seeing the way it works. He passes up Leah, but he's tricked into having both wives. Okay. So he has now a wife, Leah and Rachel. And we're told, unfortunately, that he loved Rachel. And it says that he hated Leah. He didn't favor her. And God didn't like that. We're told that because of that, God opened up Leah's womb. And she gave Jacob four boys like that. The very first boy he ever had, his name was Reuben. Then Simeon, then Levi, then Judah. And meanwhile, the wife he loved never bore one child until much, much later, her firstborn was Joseph. Joseph was intended to be the firstborn of the wife he intended to marry, of the wife he actually loved. Leah, human righteousness, human power, she's not pretty like her sister, you see. Rachel, she's beautiful. She's the one everyone wants to be. She's the one that has life figured out. She's the one that people want to take pictures with. She's the one that Jacob wants to marry. And of course, Rachel would have a son like Joseph, of course. Who always does everything right. Who has it all figured out. And is the envy of all of his other brothers from his less beautiful mother. Do you see that? Do you see how that all connects? And then if you were to think, if you were to think, well, of course it would end this way. Joseph's the best. He'll get the blessing. And he does. And he does. But why? That's the question. Joseph was intended to be that firstborn. But now Jacob is an old man. And his eyes are dim with age. But he is actually seeing clearly. He corrects Joseph. He recounts his life. He said, God appeared to me. God appeared to me at Luz, which is the word for also Bethel. That place where the angels were ascending and descending. That transcendent thing. That he had a dream and there was the throne of God and there were angels coming down. The angels going up. Sure, this is the house of God. This is the place where heaven touches earth. I can't believe this and God has blessed me here. He's given me this great thing. God appeared to me that way. And from that point, he gave me a blessing. He gave me a heaven to earth type of blessing. That's the God who I serve. And so he said, now give me these two sons. And he takes these sons who were born in Egypt. They weren't even proper Jewish people. The blessings were always meant to go to the world. The blessings were always meant to go to everyone. And he takes these two Egyptian boys and he says, they will replace my two firstborn sons, Reuben and Simeon. Which is a common practice in the ancient world. To give that kind of blessing, a double blessing of taking in grandchildren. What he did by doing that is he gave Joseph the firstborn blessing. The firstborn child was supposed to receive a double inheritance. 
So there's 12 sons. And Joseph actually doesn't receive any of them. He receives two inheritances. Because he wasn't particularly blessed, his two sons were blessed. So actually what results is his children, Jacob's grandchildren, are elevated to the level of their uncles. And so that actually out of the 12 tribes of Israel, Joseph gets two out of the 12. Double portion. Every other son gets one tribe. Joseph gets two. Double. This blessing comes to him. And of course, as we say, it would have to come to Joseph. He's the most clean. He's the most pure. He's the most righteous. He's the good guy in the whole story. He has it figured out. But the eyes of faith. Joseph places him this way. He puts his youngest son on his right. And his oldest son on his left. And he presents him to his father. The reverse is that they present to Jacob with Manasseh on Jacob's right and Ephraim on Jacob's left. The right hand, the firstborn, Manasseh, to be blessed. And Ephraim is not the firstborn. He's not the strongest, but he still gets blessed. And then Jacob goes, the blind man looks down and just goes, and flips it. He flips it. And when he does that, he says this. The God, the God, before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, walked with them. The presence of God was with them. That blessing. The God who has been my shepherd all the days of my life. And then he says, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Crossed hands, bless the boys. And when Joseph saw that, we're told that he was displeased. The word is pretty angry, very angry, offended. And he actually goes over to flip his own father's hands. Says, no, no. My father, no. You made a mistake. Your eyes are dim. Everyone else's eyes that are dim in the Bible obviously don't know what's going on. But this time he knows. He can't see well physically, but he has been brought along through the message of Genesis, the beginning of God's oracles, is that he's actually seeing the gospel for the first time. We're getting to the end of the book. Have you seen Jesus yet? And Jacob says, no, I am right. The youngest son has to be blessed first. It cannot be by your strength. The word for blessing is barakah. The word for firstborn is bakhrah. Their play of words on each other. They're practically the same thing. Why is Joseph offended? Because his firstborn son deserves this, and he does. Deuteronomy 21, it particularly says if a man has two wives, 
And he loves one more than the other. And if both the unloved and the loved wives bear children, and if the firstborn of the unloved wife is the first, he may not treat the son of the loved wife as the firstborn. He has to give the double portion to the firstborn of the unloved wife. And it says, for that is his right. I want a doctor who earned every bit of his medical degree. And I don't even mind if we have a Pelagian Christmas. I'm dreaming of a Pelagian Christmas. Go look that word up. It's amazing. I don't care about that. But there is no merit with God. What do you have? What do you have that he owes you? Do you see? What do you have that is your right with him? It's one thing. As we know it is wrong to show favoritism and partiality to your children. And that's why the law says do not favor one over the other. Even if you like your wife and this and that. And there's no partiality with God. That's true. By a matter of right. What you owe. What you deserve. But none of this is related to right. All these blessings. Every blessing from the beginning to the end. Is all mercy. The merit. The merriness of Christmas is not merit. But it is mercy. It is not what you deserve, but what God could actually give you. It cannot be to the firstborn, especially with Joseph's children. Because if there was anyone in the whole book of the Bible that you could think, maybe he earned it. Maybe he got the blessing because he was the right guy. Oh, especially not you, Joseph. Your firstborn son cannot get that blessing. It is not even your strength. That's saved. This is a blessing that has come down from above. This is a blessing that is only given to the weak. Romans 9 says it this way. In order that God's purpose and election might continue. Not because of works. Strength. Power. Position. Not because of works. But because of him who calls. It was said. The older will serve the younger. The flipping of the order all throughout and the most particular crossing of Jacob's hands is to teach that there is no way anyone, God will not share that glory with anyone, that his salvation of the world is only through his firstborn son, Jesus the Christ. There is no son, there is no child that has ever been born of man who could ever save the world. Not, and especially not, even the children of Joseph, who is the most impeccable character in all of Scripture apart from Christ. That God had to impregnate the woman. God had to get glory for it. God had to save the world. Notice the blessing. Jacob, Jacob wrestled with a man. Jacob saw angels coming up and down a ladder. But what is the blessing he gave? He says, The God before whom my father Abraham and Isaac walked, 
the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day. And then he says, the angel, that angel who has redeemed me from every evil, may he bless the boys. It says, may he bless the boys. The God that walked with my fathers, the God who has been my shepherd walking with me all my days, and the angel who has redeemed me, may he bless the boys. The exact word for the verb bless is a third person. He, singular, not they, he. So, who blessed you? Was it God or was it the angel? Yes. There was an angel, a messenger. A man that he wrestled with. Who affected his physical body. He was limping afterwards. It wasn't just a dream. He exhausted all his energy. He thought he might have won the wrestling match. The man just crazily touched his hip and dislocated it. And was more concerned that the sun wouldn't rise so that he wouldn't see his face. Because there was something about the angel, the man's face, that was like God's. Do you see... The angels coming up and down the ladder with Jacob? The Christmas message of what? That, that one of those angels apparently came down with Jacob and walked with him and blessed him? Who is also sharing the trifold blessing of God? The God of Abraham and Isaac. The God who was my shepherd. And that angel who'd redeemed me is the angel God. This is and always was. And exactly the point of our salvation. That it is He, Jesus Christ, came down in our flesh and has redeemed us. Saved us. He made a list. He checked it twice. He knew all of us were naughty and none of us were nice. And He came down and saved us, you see. This is the mercy which makes Christmas merry. And there is no merit in it at all. There is nothing that even Joseph could add to this. Dear Father God, Lord, we thank you that we would know your presence. The blessing is that you would walk with us, that you would guide us, that you would be the shepherd with us. That you would redeem us. That all of our lives and everything you've given us is not just gifts and blessings that come to us, but come to us by your presence with us. That we eat our food with you. We raise our children with you. We sing our songs to you. We bow on our knees with you. We drive in the car with you. Everything we have is in this blessing. That in life or in death, we would be with you. Lord, for you have made yourself known to us. Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. Lord, we worship you and praise you. We give you our hearts promptly and sincerely.
In Jesus' mighty name, amen.